How many of you have a junk drawer at home? How many of you have a junk closet at home? How many of you have a junk garage at home? Some of you are probably familiar with these new shows that are on where they've got these storage places where you go and you open up the, the wall and you or the door and you start bidding and, and you try and buy all of the junk that's in, in the room. People actually make a TV show out of, out of that. And uh, you watch it, so I don't know what's worse. But so they make a show, basically, of selling a person's junk drawer. And so this last week I was looking at the top five things found in these storage wars. Top five things according to an internet site, so it must be true. Number five. Number five is the Action Comics number one edition in mint condition. Worth $2 million. They paid $173 for that junk drawer. Pretty good deal. Number four, an individual got James Bond's submarine car. How cool would that be? The guy didn't even know it until he was driving home and his neighbor said, hey, what's in your back of your pickup? You know what that is? That's James Bond's submarine car. That was number four. Number three, this was a, I don't even know why this is number three. Burt Reynolds' memories. I guess Burt Reynolds came under some financial hardship at one point, and so what he had to do is he got, everything got sold out and it got put into the storage place and forgot about it, and it came up for sale unknowingly, and somebody left with all of Burt Reynolds' memories. Great deal. This is number two. Weirdest thing to find in a junk drawer. This just speaks to the incapability of the government, but that's a different conversation from a different day. Somebody left after buying the junk storage with a rocket from NASA. How would you like that? A couple of FBI agents showing up at your door. Hey, here you have a rocket in your garage. The number one odd thing found in storage wars, a thief, a real person. I'm serious, a real person. So I guess what was happening was is that they were getting the places ready for, for everything and they had just cracked the doors a little bit uh, on there and they had cracked the doors a little bit a couple days earlier and somebody had come and, and snuck in. Well, anyway, when they had snuck in to start robbing, the person had come back and locked all of the doors. <laughs> Two days later, they're opening and doing the bidding and there's a person in there. I'm wondering, hey, does the person come with everything I just bought? <laughs> can you imagine? Man, you can find some weird stuff in people's junk. I wonder what I could find in your junk drawer at home. Most of us are managing a junk drawer or two at home. But more than managing a junk drawer at home, if we are honest this morning, most of us are managing ourselves, which is another form of a junk drawer. And it's a much bigger deal what's actually found inside of us after everything's removed than a rocket or Burt Reynolds stuff. Because what's lost inside of us, what the junk is covering up, is the image of God. So that actually, when God buys us, he's redeeming himself.
himself. The challenge is, for the majority of us, all of us, I would contend this morning, is that we continue to be a junk drawer. And if we just started poking around this morning a little bit at each of us this morning, we'd probably find some things that we didn't want other people to see. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23 this morning, is on the attack again at the religious leaders. And this morning, he gets right to the point. He says, hey, outwardly you look great. Man, you look fabulous. You look like some great religious leaders. You wear a shirt and tie to church. You look fabulous. But guess what? Inside, you're a mess. And that's why Jesus says, woe to you. Because outwardly, you look great. But guess what? Inwardly, you're a mess. And God cares about the inside. Because God sees right through the outside. So as we hear these words towards the religious leaders this morning, it's another opportunity for you and I to say, what type of person am I becoming? Does the inside of my life reflect the image of God? Or would the inside of my life bring Jesus to say, woe to you? So this morning we have an opportunity to examine our inner being and see if Jesus would encourage us or Jesus would have a harsh word for us. And unless we deal with the junk in our lives, we can't be the people that God created us to be. Think about this for a moment. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were not being the people God created them to be. What was happening? They were actually having an ill effect on religion. People were leaving religion because of them. People were not being healed. Multiple times, Jesus approaches the, the religious leaders and says, hey, why aren't you doing something? They're not living out their full being because they haven't dealt with reality. The reality is they've got junk on the inside. And they think that God is pleased as long as the outside looks good. But Jesus has harsh words for them. Woe to you. God sees right through it. So this morning, I want to talk about that which is unfun. The word we brought up last Sunday, the C word, change. Basically what Jesus is getting after here is he's saying to the religious leaders, hey, you haven't changed at all. You've got all these external works, but guess what? You as a person, you haven't changed at all. When God is in the change business, it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3 that we're supposed to be renewed and clothed in the image of God, renewed and clothed in the image of Jesus who purchased us, removing our old clothing and putting on new clothing. God's in the transformation business. Well, how is it then that we change so that our inner being is such that, that it's honoring to God? I think you're, I hope you'd agree with me this morning that Jesus is crystal clear. That Jesus is in opposition to outwardly goodness and inward evil. God is in opposition to outwardly goodness and inward evil. In outward work, you can go to church every single Sunday your whole life and still what? Be inwardly evil. God sees right through it. 
So how do we participate? How do we experience this change? This morning I want to share with you three principles, three things that Scripture teaches us that are, that are kind of the overarching understanding of how we change as the people of God. And the first thing you have to understand before we get into the principles is this. It's much more like farming and art than it is like science. In the Bible, there's no magic formula that it's X plus Y, it's going to bring about this. There's nothing in the Bible that's like a manufacturing place that's like, okay, we're just going to send you down this line and it's going to happen, boom, boom, boom. We're, we're people. We're much more complicated than that. It takes a little rain here, a little cultivation there, a little sunshine here. It's, it's all a process. So there's no magic formula, but there's truths. There's things that God has revealed about what's supposed to be happening in our lives that can bring about the change. So three principles are truths, and with each principle or truth, I'm going to give you one practical application for this next week to pursue change. Number one, we need to have honest acknowledgement of the sin in our lives. Honest acknowledgement of the sin in our lives. This is where it begins. It begins with a recognition and an acknowledgement that there's challenges in our lives. Most of us are really good at fooling ourselves. And when we fool ourselves, we project that we've therefore fooled God. When in reality, God sees everything. What type of God do we have if we can fool God by fooling ourselves? Then we really don't have a God. We've got a created being, one that we've made. But God sees right in us. And, but are we honest with ourselves? Have we acknowledged to ourselves, and more importantly, and here's the difficult step, have we acknowledged to others the challenges within us? Sin is ever-present with us and in us. Man, we live in the blame game of society, don't we? Well, it's their fault. It's, it's his fault. It's her fault. Well, I was brought up this way, so it's the only way I know. It's constant. It's, it's absolutely constant. Look for someone else to blame. Now, there's times when someone else is to blame for action, activity that happens. But here's what flows from that mindset. Sin is out there. All the bad stuff is out there. When the Bible teaches the exact opposite, Sin's not out there. Sin's in here. This is why Jesus was so upset with the religious leaders when they were so concerned about what they were putting in their bodies in Matthew 15. And Jesus is like, I don't care what you eat. Because guess what? What you eat is not what's bringing about the bad deeds. The bad deeds flow from your heart. It's within us. We have to have an honest acknowledgement of the wrongdoing in our lives. This morning, I want to challenge us and get personal for a moment. The majority of us are more disappointed with the consequences of our sin than the sin itself. So here's what we do. Because we don't like the consequences of certain things, we try to modify it so that we don't end up having those consequences. When in reality, the sin itself doesn't bother us. So myself, I'll get personal for a moment. And my, myself, as all of us have different tendencies towards different challenges and, and problems in our lives. This might sound really odd and weird to say. 
the most challenging time in our household, the most challenging time in our household is dinner time. Kind of weird. Dinner slash supper time for you farmers. Supper time. So here, here's the problem. We come home, like, okay, what are we going to have for supper? Well, I've mentioned this before. My wife's family, completely indecisive. Like, I, I don't care. Whatever, whatever you want. I'm an options guy and then a decision guy. So I'm like, hey, here's three options. You eliminate two, that leaves us with one. Well, I don't care. Whatever you want. This has led, in pure honesty, this has led to challenges. Because here's what happens. I have a tendency towards anger and frustration. And so what happens then is I'm mad, like, let's decide what we're going to eat. Which then leads to unnecessary words spoken against people. Right? And then what happens? Cold shoulder, etc. the rest of the evening or whatever. Happen continually. So I'm here, I'm, I get this benefit of the person that I meet with weekly. I basically get to meet with a professional counselor weekly because the person that I have as my accountability partner is basically a trained professional counselor. So one week we're talking about this. I don't know how we got on the subject. And, and I was, oh, I was showing him something on my phone. I said, hey, we've got this new meal planning app. This meal planning app is going to solve all of our problems. <laughs> because guess what? We're not going to be in the situation anymore where we have to ask, what should we have for supper tonight? So that's not going to put me in the situation where I'm going to get mad, I'm going to have anger then that comes up, says things that I shouldn't say. Guy looks at me, says, well, I can't repeat exactly what he said, okay? okay? Very simple. You're a fool. You have a master's degree in this. You should know better than this. The issue is not the indecisiveness of your wife. The issue is not that you don't have a plan. The issue is you. You need to deal with the root problem that you can't be in a different position when you're in that situation. You should be able to handle just fine the indecisiveness of anyone around you. It should not produce within you anger that produces language, that produces actions towards anyone. I know that. I've studied all of the counseling books. I know that. But he had to remind me, though, all you're trying to do is set up some boundaries, set up a little system that does what? Protects against the consequence. Doesn't deal with the root issue. Every single one of us has root issues. Are you willing to deal with the root issues? Not just set up protection barriers around us. For seasons, for seasons, protection barriers are necessary as you're going through a process of change. So for example, for a season, if you're, if you're coming out of an addiction, for a season, it, it's really wise not to put yourself in a place where you could step back into it. That, that's really wise, and I would encourage all of us to do that. But during that season, we should be working on the root issue. And so that root issue allows us then to step back in with people where we won't be overcome by temptation again because we've dealt with the root issue that put us in that addiction in the first place. Are you giving honest acknowledgement 
of the challenges in your life. You're not giving honest acknowledgement until some other human being knows. If you can't be honest with another human being who you can see, touch, feel, hear, how can you be honest with a God you cannot see? Does another human being know the inward challenges that you face? So here's your application this next week. Here's your, none of these applications are going to be easy, by the way, today. If you want to experience change, here's your application. You need to confess to someone an inward difficulty in your own life of where your heart tends or mind tends to go. You need to tell someone that challenge. It says in James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. It's not between you and God. It's not between you and God at all. It's between you, God, and God's people. It's not a, well, I'm going to get it fixed first. No, 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 no. It's a, I'm going to tell someone else because they're responsible, just like you're responsible. You're responsible for your behavior, but guess what? Someone else is responsible for you as well, and you're responsible for someone else. We need to acknowledge to someone else the challenges that we face. Application one, confess to another human being a challenge a sin, a tendency in your heart and in your mind. If we're going to change, we have to have honest acknowledgement of the sin, not just the consequence. Christian change comes when we are honest, but the second principle truth that we have to recognize is the one that I struggle with the most, and I would contend that maybe all of us do. Christian change is not about having more willpower. Christian change is not about having more willpower. <clears throat> everybody in this room, everybody in this room, I, agree, I believe, would raise their hand and say, I believe in grace. I love grace. Everybody in this room would probably raise their hand and say, we're only Christians because of grace. Here's what's amazing. We're in complete agreement of that. We sing about it. We believe it. But guess what happens? That's where we leave grace. When grace was not just meant to be the entry point into Christianity, but was meant to cover all of Christianity. It's not just grace at the beginning, it's grace through and to the end. You don't become a Christian on your own willpower. The Bible clearly teaches that I cannot say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit giving me that ability. Crystal clear in the Bible, I cannot become a Christian on my own willpower. Guess what? If I can't become a Christian on my own willpower, I can't grow as a Christian on my own willpower. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3. We've got a whole letter in the Bible written almost on this exact topic. Galatians 3. Basically, the people receiving this letter had been people who had believed they had to do works after they were saved to continue on their salvation. That's a really simplistic overview. Galatians 3, 1 through 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The Galatians believed that they received the Holy Spirit by faith, but then they believed that they kept the Holy Spirit through willpower, good 
works. And the, God's word says, who bewitched you? In other words, who's playing with your mind? That's not how it works. You do not change by having more willpower. You do not have the strength to deal with the junk in your heart. You do not have the strength. I do not have the strength to deal with the junk in our heart. I require outside activity, the Holy Spirit. There was grace for you to become a Christian. Guess what? There's grace for you as you're a Christian. The good news of Jesus Christ was not the entry point, but continually preaching it to ourselves, reminding us of it, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. Next Sunday, we're going to take the whole sermon to just unpack this a little bit further to understand, okay, how does the Holy Spirit work in us and through us to bring change? We've got to understand the overarching truth first. It's not willpower that will change us. The problem is not that you're not trying hard enough. I hear this all of the time. I know it's in many of our hearts. I, I know I just need to try harder, Pastor. I need to do better. No, stop. Stop. No. You're missing the whole point. You, you don't need to try harder. You don't need to do better. You need to rely on someone else. God created you to be dependent upon others and himself. So, so what's the practical application that we need to do to, to bring this into our minds? Now, this is going to be really hard. This is going to be really hard. And this is one application. Most applications, I'm like, eh, some people are at least going to give it a try. This one, I'm thinking no one's going to give a try. This is it right here. This next week, you need to let someone do something for you. Not just let someone do something for you. You need to ask someone to do something for you. Even if it's something that you can do for yourself. If you can't ask another person who you can see, feel, and touch, hear a familiar theme here, how can you possibly rely on a spirit who you can't see, touch, or feel? This, the men's retreat that we were at a couple months ago in January, they had a comedian there. Uh, this guy was just absolutely hilarious and was great. And in the middle of his comedy, though, he had this amazing teaching that was so powerful about the necessity of being able to, to, to give. Most of us, for the most part, are good givers. But you have to be able to receive just like you can give. If you can only give, guess what? You're actually not a healthy giver. You, to be a healthy giver, you've got to be able to give and receive. And so his challenge, he told a story about how he was in New York. And he's at New York, and, and uh, he, what he thought he's, God told him to do is said, hey, you know what, there's a lot of people here that need to learn how to receive. And so he said, at your stuff at your table, I want you to have them at your table where people can just go up and grab a CD or a DVD at your table and not pay for it. And, and the crowd, they could afford to pay for it. But I want you to tell them they need to grab it even if they can afford, afford it. And so he says he's going to do this. He told the pastor beforehand he's going to do this. The pastor's like, whoa, 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 you, you can't do this. Not in New York. Number one, you're going to have people coming in and just stealing. You, you can't do this. And yet the economy said, I'm going to do this. And so he said to the crowd, he said, hey, if you need to learn how to give, you need to put money on the table. If you need to learn how to receive, 
you just need to take something from the table without giving anything. You know, in the pastor that was there was thinking, he's just going to have a stash of cash there. Nobody's going to receive anything. The comedian said that night, there was a line around the building. At the end of the night, it worked out equal of what was given and what was received. People need to learn how to receive, just like you need to learn how to give. Some of you have no idea how to receive. I'm preaching to myself as well. You have no idea to be dependent upon another person. And until you can learn to be dependent upon another human, I'm going to contend you've got no idea how to be dependent upon a spirit that you can't see. We cannot do it on more willpower. It has to be on submission to the Holy Spirit in order to train our minds. This next week, I want you to ask someone for help. Call someone and say, hey, I was wondering if you could do this for me. Some of you are ready to leave this church now. If you can't ask another human being for help, you've got so much pride in your life that God's nowhere near. You need to ask someone for help. Number one, be honest. Number two, it's not a matter of more willpower. We need to ask for help. Number three, this concept truth regarding how do we change is this. Very simple sentence. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. Very simple, what this verse is saying is this, is as you're reflecting, as you're holding on to the glory of God, you're transformed one degree at a time into the glory of God. What you focus on, what you listen to, what you watch over time, that's what you become. Our children are prime examples of this, and it's not like it just magically stops at age five, right? I mean, up to age five, how do you know what to say? I mean, how's my daughter such a good dancer? She watches me. So, of course, you what? You become what you behold. It's not like at age five, all of a sudden, you stop watching or listening to others and copying others. No. It's, it's what we do. So what are we beholding? What are we watching? In 1 John chapter 3, it says that when Jesus returns, we're going to be just like him. Why? It says in 1 John 3, because we see him as he is. There's power in beholding God. We become like the image of God. What are you reflecting upon? What are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your eyes with? What are, what are you beholding? If you want to change, if you want to get to the point where you're dealing with your inner junk, guess what? You've got to begin beholding the beauty of God. Because if you're beholding the beauty of God is when you really get sick to your own stomach with the sin, not the consequence. So here's your practical application. To behold the beauty of God, it's this. Memorize some scripture. Memorize some Bible passages. 
Now, again, be careful. I'm not saying memorize because it's a magic formula. Memorize three verses and tomorrow you're going to be like God. No, no. You have to memorize because it forces you to do what? As you're memorizing, you're reflecting upon it. There's so much power in memorizing the Bible. I've not met one person who's been just come up to me and been like, man, I'm so disappointed I spent all that time memorizing the Bible. I haven't had anyone, no Christians, ever been like, oh, I just wish I wouldn't have memorized as much scripture as I have. It's really causing a lot of havoc in my life. I can tell you what is causing havoc in your life. It's the thought patterns of the talk radio that you're listening to. What's causing havoc in your life is the thought patterns that the shows you're watching are creating. And when that becomes the only thing that we reflect upon and think about, that's what we become. Let, let me show this to you. And this is not, again, I, this is not again to make us a mess like, go home and throw your TVs away. That's not the point. But let me illustrate this for you, and I've said this before. Friends, the most famous television show I think ever, right? Friends and Seinfeld. So Friends was years ago, right? People were watching Friends, and obsessed with Friends. And as they're watching it, people are like, whoa, there's some stuff happening in the show that does not happen in our culture. Go back and watch Friends today and look at our culture. Guess what? It's exactly the same. Everything that was acceptable in Friends in 1997 that we were like, ah, it's funny because it's never going to happen here. Guess what? It's acceptable today. You think that's by accident? That's not by accident at all. At all. Again, I'm not saying, oh, you shouldn't watch any rated R movies or PG-13 movies. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, to think that it's not influencing our thinking and who we're becoming is absurd. So what am I reflecting upon the most? Am I looking at that through the lens of Scripture or am I looking at Scripture through the lens of Hollywood? Big difference. What am I reflecting upon? Memorize scripture. If you need something to memorize, let me encourage you. Just memorize the book of Philippians. If you need somewhere to start, it's, the, uh, it's, it's just awesome. You'll never regret it. Just memorize the book of Philippians. Anybody that does that by next Sunday, you can go to lunch with me after church next Sunday. But, and you're buying. Philippians, memorize it by next Sunday. It's a, you won't go wrong. We become what we behold. We want to be the people that God created us to be. It begins by dealing with our inner self. Because Jesus says, hey, 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 what's in you should be consistent with what's outside of you. And so we've got an opportunity. We've been invited into this process of change. Not change so that God will love us. Change because God loves us. It begins by acknowledging, being honest with ourselves and another person. It begins by acknowledging it's not a matter of trying harder. It begins by beholding the beauty and the greatness of God. We'll close with this final truth from the Bible. Many of us don't want to deal with our inner junk because the moment we start to reflect on our inner junk and what's wrong with us, we're overcome with shame and guilt. This happens all the time, right? If I avoid it, I don't have to think about it. Because if I think about it, what happens? Shame and guilt. 
hear this this morning. Shame and guilt are the exact opposite of the message of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love this quote by John Newton. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, says this, Deeper knowledge of sin should lead to a richer rejoicing in grace. A deeper knowledge of sin leads to a richer rejoicing in grace. Here's what happens. You become aware more and more of how evil you are in your heart. Guess what? It just drives you to be more in awe of saying, God, you are awesome to love me even in the midst of that. What happens over time in a healthy marriage? Over time in a healthy marriage, you get to know the other person fully and completely, right? And as you get to know the other person fully and completely, what happens? Devotion grows. Because they know you fully and completely, and you know them fully and completely. Appreciation for one another grows. Closeness grows. You cling to one another more. As we become more aware of, of the sin and the wrongdoing within us, it should not drive us to shame and guilt away from God, but should drive us to more intimacy with God in recognition of the grace that He has for us. This morning, if you're struggling with shame and guilt, go back to the fundamentals. Go back to the fundamentals. The fundamental message of Jesus Christ is that you are forgiven in Him. There is no condemnation. It's gone. So today, we can begin to deal with the junk in our lives because we know that reflecting upon it, wrestling with it, working against it is not going to put us in a place of like, oh, I'm not good enough. No. It's going to put us in a place that says, God, you are awesome. Thank you for forgiving me. Now erase it. Today, God wants to do a work in us and through us. And that's not just exterior works, but that's works of the heart. And so today, Jesus is inviting us on a train of change. And change begins by recognizing that we need to change. Change begins by recognizing that we need to change. Every single one of us needs to change in our lives. Because there's junk. And God says, come, let's deal with the junk. Because when we deal with the junk, guess what? There's going to be something glorious. There's going to be something amazing. It's not going to be a rocket ship from NASA. It's not going to be Burt Reynolds' memories. That which is going to be awesome when you deal with your junk is going to be the love and the compassion that you begin to have for other people. When you begin to deal with your junk, that which is going to be awesome is the difference maker that you're going to become in your workplace and in your family. Because guess what? A healthy person starts with a healthy heart. So today, God's inviting us on the train of change. Let's jump aboard and experience what he has for us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning thankful for your grace. God, we acknowledge that we've tried to do it on our own, myself included. God, we acknowledge that we have not been honest with others. We acknowledge that we have not beheld your glory. So 
So God, we pray that today, specifically, that you'd put someone in each of our lives that we can be honest with. We pray this next week, God, that you'd give each of us someone that can do something for us. And I pray this next week, God, that you would burn your scripture, give us a desire to memorize your word. So God, we pray that you'd change us as we live out these truths in our daily lives. God, we thank you this morning that there's no shame and no guilt. So we ask now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would remove the shame, you would remove the guilt, and allow us to be people who change. Guide us, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.